Good Saturday evening. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. And once again, pulling double duty, Nicole Bruno representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Cooper's got uh, I, the most amazing schedule, it yeah, seems. Yeah, I he, think he should be fired. I think so, too. <laughs> I think he, res- he needs some sort of demerit. Um, yeah, he owes me multiple coffees because today I'm here without a coffee at all. I think he needs to host the next two Saturday nights. <laughs> oh, we and you and I, that. we get to hang out and go watch a movie. We I sit think. back and laugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we do that anyway, regardless of him. Well, yeah, so uh, it's it's just me, Jason Kong, and Nicole Bruno this week. But we've got uh, a great guest this week, Nicole. We've got Kate Sutton, who's a, a bereave- bereavement counselor with Transitions Life Care. And uh, I'm excited to for this program because this is a subject that um, – unfortunately affects a lot of people, but it's uh, it, it's important information that everyone needs to know. You know, it really is. You know, we sit here every week and talk a lot about how we can support older adults and their caregivers with the all the various issues surrounding uh, with caregiving and death and dying. But today we're kind of taking a, a little side trip and talking about bereavement of children and teens, which is really a very different animal in itself. And the reality of it is in all of our families, around all the adults, our children and teens. And so I'm really super thrilled that we have Kate here today, who uh, is a bereavement counselor with Transitions Life Care. And does a lot of really special things around working with children and teens, and hopefully will teach us all a few things about how to engage them when they are going through the grief process. You know, Kate, I'm I'm guessing, um, you know, my kids have been blessed so far that they really haven't been around too much death and dying yet. But I'm guessing if a child is faced with death, death and dying, the way they process that is a lot different than we do as adults. Yes, it is um, different than adults. Um, certainly, if a child is young enough to love we say they're young enough to grieve Mm. just like adults are and um, the way that they show grief really depends on their age um, their biological age and their developmental age so um, you might notice really young kids um, in the zero to three range having more clinginess or feeling um showing more big feelings like crying or Mm -hmm. wanting to be around their caregiver more than Mm -hmm. they used to be. They can kind of pick up on the energy of the adults in the room Mm -hmm. and um, that can really affect how they grieve. Um, Children who are out of that three-year-old range, about three to five, three to six years old, you know, you might also notice that they have more physical complaints than they used to before, Mm -hmm. like headaches or stomach aches or body aches. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they might tell you that they're having a harder time sleeping or want to sleep with their caregiver Mm -hmm. at nighttime, which... Um, for some parents and caregivers, that can be difficult and to know, you know, is this normal or not? Well, especially when the, the parent or caregiver is actually going through the grief process themselves. Right. So it's like a double duty on that individual, I would mm-hmm. think. It is, right. Um, and it, it can be frustrating, too. You know, I think some it's, it's very normal for kids in that range, too, to regress in behavior sometimes. So you might notice kids acting out or mm-hmm. having more tantrums than they used to even things like toilet training can um can regress for kids so a kid who has been out of diapers and toilet trained for a year or two may go back to wetting the bed at night or Mm. you know having accidents and um it just takes a little extra time and patience especially on the parent and caregiver part um to kind of manage um some of those feelings and 
you know, we really like to underscore for um, caregivers that, you know, just like you would with, with folks who are caring for older adults, that self-care is so vital mm-hmm. in helping manage our own emotions and our own grief experience. And when kind of like the oxygen mask on an airplane, you mm-hmm. know, like put your oxygen mask on first before you help others. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't breathe or if you're you're not able to come up for air and take care of yourself, you can't really take care of anyone else. Sure. Home. So, um, so that's that. Kids who are older than, um, than six or so, you know, we, kids understand the concept of death and dying and the permanence of it more around the age of seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not uncommon for little kids to ask where their person who died is. You sure. Know, like whoever it was in their family, they might say, oh, we're going to the grocery store. I'm going to get, you know, dad or grandma, their favorite drink that they always got. We can take it back to their house. And that can be a really hard thing for mm-hmm parents and caregivers to hear, but also good to understand, okay, that's developmentally normal Mm -hmm. for this child. Um, But around seven or eight, they really start to understand the permanence of death. And it's important to use really concrete language around death and dying. So, um, you know, even before a death has occurred, helping children understand um, what is happening in really simple terms, Mm -hmm. you know, helping understand the disease process you know, like we said, if they're young enough to love, they're young enough to grieve, mm-hmm. um, there are ways that we can help kids understand what's going on so that they're then less fearful in the long run of what is going to happen. And I think that's a big, big, big important piece. Um, you know, a lot of people I know that have gone through this with children, y- y- there's sort of two schools of thought. They kind of shield the child from everything that's going on with that loved one, never let them see them sick. You know, and Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden that person's there and then they're not. And then there's other people who are in a different school of house that sort of have that child along the entire way where they might see some big scary things. Mm -hmm. And so, and really, I mean, people are very passionate on either side of that. How how do you, and and it may be child dependent, how do you make that decision as a parent or a caregiver um, what to expose a child to? Mm Mm-hmm. I think, um, like you said, it's an it depends answer. Mm -hmm. You know, it depends on... Um, the child, how old they are, um, you know, certainly family values play a part. But I think underneath all of that, it's really important to give honest, truthful information Mm -hmm. and come at it from a really loving place Mm -hmm. with your child. Um, You know, anticipation and... um, the unknown for everyone is so much more scary Mm -hmm. than usually the actual thing Mm -hmm. that is happening. Right. It's all your imagination around it. Exactly. With everything in life, really. Exactly. We build it and build Mm -hmm. it. And death is one of those major things, right? Mm -hmm. That like we just have such a hard time with because Mm -hmm. it can be really scary and hard. Um, So helping kids understand in really like honest, simple, factual information about what's going on, um, that can really calm kids' nerves and give them a sense of control when really children have very little control mm-hmm. in, in the whole process of a right. parent or caregiver's illness. Or, or in life in general. In life in general, <laughs> right? So helping them, you know, feel a sense of control and knowing can be so helpful. How many times have we gone to the doctor and 
and not gotten information that we're really waiting for mm-hmm. and the anxiety that is around it, um, when we get that information, we can then make educated choices. And that is the same thing for children and teens especially. You know, when we get into this teenage age, um, kids who are in early adolescence or right in the thick of it, they want to know more of what's going on. Uh, they do. I've seen that with my 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. I brought him to the doctor just for a checkup. And, you know, he's kind of at that age now where he's in between. So Mont's mom right there, but doesn't really. And mm-hmm. then at one point, the doctor stepped out with me because she wanted to talk about, he'll probably kill me if he ever hears this on the radio, but some puberty-related things uh-huh. to prepare me for. And then later on the day, he goes, what were you talking to the doctor about? And he thought there was, like, something majorly wrong with him. His imagination just yes. went... And I said, well, she didn't really want to talk about puberty in front of you with me. And so she just wanted to make sure I was on board with everything that was going on. And, and he's like, I don't believe you. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're fine. You're not sick. You're healthy as a horse. Right. You know? but, but seriously, you're right. They want to know more. Yes, they and, do. And, you know, and we actually, and, and that might be a lesson for the medical profession is to not talk about people that way, you know, mm-hmm. in front of the people or talking code, because that really does make people paranoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even the language that we use are around, um, around things can be really anxiety provoking or they feel less inclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, when we are working with children um, and they're in the room, instead of using the, the words he and she really using their name, you know, well, Adam over here, he's really, you know, dealing with X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. and this is how we're going to help Adam through blah, blah, because, you know, that gives them a sense of, I belong in the room, too, right. and they do, they right. do, um, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, there are some times when it's not appropriate, but um, a lot of times, they're going to find the information out on their own if you don't share with them, That's you know, right. the they'll, internet they'll is speak. a powerful tool. <laughs> it sure is. No how many blockers you put exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> Funny how you'll always, always get access to that information. Our guest is Kate Sutton. She's a bereavement counselor with Transitions Life Care, and we're going to continue our discussion in just a bit. We'll also get into some, uh, some very cool events that are happening uh, that uh, Kate will be a part of and Transitions will be a part of as well. You're listening to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort That Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care, which was founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can find more information about them at transitionslifecare.org. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. I'm Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno, alongside me without coffee this evening, Nicole. This is this is a rare sight, Kate. We, we normally don't see this. Uh, sometimes Cooper will sabotage her coffee oh, cup. Oh, every time. Every time. Yeah, yes, yeah. I get a leaky cup he, every he's week. Gotten, he's gotten very subtle with it. <laughs> interested to know his technique. But our, our guest is Kate Sutton. As I said, she's a bereavement counselor with Transitions transitions life care and we're we're talking about a very interesting subject and that's dealing with uh children who've lost a loved one and you know nicole this is uh something that we've kind of hinted at but it's uh when we're talking about grief in general you know it's it's not just kind of a it happens and it's a one-on-one experience mm. you know the, the whole family is involved in this and it's it's an ongoing process it is as well a process. it goes on and on and on and you know beyond a year even for some folks mm-hmm. and more definitely I guess one of the things, Kate, I, I'm curious about is 
you know, you offer bereavement services specifically for children and teens, as, long, as well as adults at Transitions mm-hmm. Life Care, but our focus today is children and teens. I am guess a couple of things, you know, what are the age ranges allowed at the uh, bereavement center? And then what can a family expect? You know, is this walking into a doom and gloom building? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can imagine it might be scary for a child and you know, how do you prepare them for the first visit, that sort of thing. Right. So we see children who are as young as five, okay. all the way up to 17. And then beyond that, they're considered adults, and so they would see an adult counselor. And so um, our services for um, folks, either who have had transitions, hospice, or who are from the community, and maybe it was a sudden death that they experienced, mm-hmm. um, and they're looking for extra support, or maybe they had a different hospice service mm-hmm. um, that wasn't transitions. We are open to seeing everyone. You know, we real our goal is to really provide access for for families, um, and so those services are free for people mm-hmm. um, when we provide them all of our events and our individual counseling. Folks can expect up to about six sessions of individual counseling mm-hmm. um, for children and teens. It's not necessarily a hard and fast rule, mm-hmm. um, but a, a, just in general, for those who have had transitions, um, a, a transition service line of mm-hmm. care, um, that that uh, range is a little more flexible, and we can talk about that if folks are interested in coming in for services. Um, but when folks come in, it can be kind of an, a nerve-wracking experience. You know, if you've never gone to a counselor before, um, you might expect, I'm supposed to talk about my feelings. Yeah. I have to disclose all of this information. Right. And I'm like, I don't really I'm know. I'm a very private person. Right. Is children this, put up walls too. Exactly. <laughs> Is this person going to ask me a ton of questions? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we really encourage people is one, own your grief story in the way that matters to you for sharing mm-hmm. that's for adults and for kids. Um, and two, you know, we try to make the environment of the grief center as friendly and as welcoming as possible. When you walk in, you're greeted by a garden outside of our front door. Um, and then you come in and we have this really lovely library that kids are welcome to play in and mm-hmm. check out books. We have a ton of resources in mm-hmm. our library that folks can browse through and check out books like you would the public library. And then we also have rooms specifically designed for play therapy mm-hmm. with children and teens. And, you know, play therapy and child-centered um child-centered therapy is really important I think philosophically working with children and this is this is kind of my leaning you might talk to other um, children's therapists who who work a little bit differently with kids but especially in grief giving children the opportunity to choose how they play and what they play with gives us a lot of information about where they are in their grief. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly we provide some some talk therapy interventions to get more information. Mm-hmm. Um, we also provide family sessions as well. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Does the yeah. mom and dad get to come in on these sessions or is a child alone? Usually for the first visit, we include the, the parent or caregivers. Um, and then we like to meet with kids by themselves because sometimes kids can be very protective of their of their caregivers Mm -hmm. and that's a really normal developmentally appropriate thing that they can do Um, but at the same time it can limit the amount of expression that kids allow for themselves which is so vital when Mm -hmm. they're letting out some of their big grief feelings so um, we do give them individual time Mm -hmm. and um, during some of that time you know we might 
we can talk a little bit about tips and tricks Mm -hmm. for, you know, getting kids to share. Um, But we'll do some different activities and interventions that encourage sharing and memory making and Mm -hmm. um, helping them find ways of dealing with their feelings in a safe way at Mm -hmm. home. So if if I had a, a child at home that was experiencing some of this, what are some of the ways that I could support them? I would definitely encourage you, you know, if you have a, a really um, expressive child who is wanting to share, mm-hmm. um, letting them share with you through maybe talking, um, reading stories together. Um, like I mentioned, our Grief Center Library has a bunch of different books. Sometimes those can open the conversation with kids in a way that just talking one-on-one, asking how your day was might not open up some mm-hmm. of that same content. Um, you know, for parents, it can be sometimes really difficult to hear children share about their feelings. You know, you you have a connection with your child Mm -hmm. it can make you feel sad or guilty Mm -hmm. or you know any number of feelings when your child is sharing their own hurt so I think checking in with that for yourself too is so vital yeah and I was gonna say one of the things I often hear adults complain about in their own grief process is that when the loved one dies nobody knows what to say or do so nobody talks about that person Mm -hmm. anymore Mm -hmm. and so I've seen that carry over to parents with children they don't want to get out the photo book with dad or Mm -hmm. cousin or whoever it was and then sort of like everything gets closed up in a box Mm -hmm. is that Mm -hmm. the right thing to do or I mean I would say it definitely depends Mm -hmm. but I would I would err on the side of um, not not closing things up Mm -hmm. you know um, whether you as the caregiver are the one who wants to put things Mm -hmm. in the box or whether your child says no I don't want to have these pictures around they're too painful to look at you know, maybe placing, if it's important to you to have a picture or two, like, out in a place that you feel like is, is special, mm-hmm. um, great, you know, keep those out. But sometimes um, we do all need grief breaks. That's important. Sure. I would say um, if you as a caregiver are not able to provide that level of support at that particular moment, find some people in your life who are capable of helping your child express their feelings, Mm -hmm. whether it's a teacher, a family member, a counselor in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, And look out for signs of of when your child may need professional support. You know, if they're saying that they want to hurt themselves or someone else, or if they're really getting into some trouble at school or at home. Grades are really slipping. Grades are really slipping. Yes. All of those things that are just not characteristic of your kid, that's a good time to ask for help. That's, those are great, great points. So I know you've got some really cool things going on, and I want to definitely highlight those. Um, talk to me a little bit about these magical puppet shows in schools. Yes. So <laughs> Who doesn't love a puppet show? <laughs> Who doesn't love a puppet show? So we do have a show. It's called RV Aardvark Finds Hope. It's based on a book by a woman named Donna O'Toole. And we do this puppet show. We've done it for years in, um, in schools in the area. And um, it's a way to offer children a chance to talk about losses and learn about loss, not just due to death, mm-hmm. um, but other types of losses mm-hmm. and give them a chance to, to share and learn about different feelings and how to manage their feelings and seek support when they need it. Um, that's something that school counselors can access our grief center and ask us for a puppet show. And you also do small groups in schools? We do small groups in schools. 
Um, children who have experienced a loss by death in school, their school counselor can request a school group. And that's another way for us to provide access to grief support in the community for kids who may not have good transportation. Great. And then definitely, I, w- I want to spend the last bit of time we have here on Camp Reflections. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that, what it is, when it is, and how people can get more information. Camp Reflections is our camp for grieving kids and their caregivers. Um, it's going to take place on May 19th from 6 to 8 p.m. at Transitions Life Care Campus in Raleigh and May 20th from 8.45 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Lake Wheeler State Park. It offers kids a chance to be with other children, find a sense of normalcy, and be able to share their grief in a way that really makes sense in a fun environment. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited about having that. And if folks want more information? If folks want more information, they can call the Grief Center at 919-719-7199 or visit the web at transitionslifecare.org slash camp. And is there a cost? And there is no cost. For this camp. Wow. And do you need to register or can you just show up? We do need folks to register. And in fact, our last day for registration is going to be this coming Monday. Ooh, hop on it this weekend. Hop on it this weekend. (laughs) Um, You know, I know that's short time, but if you really feel strongly about a child in your life that might need camp, give us a call. Our guest, Kate Sutton. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Kate is the bereavement counselor at Transitions Life Care. Again, if you're looking for more information on Camp Reflections, you can go to transitionslifecare.org slash camp. And those events are uh, Friday, May 19th from 6 to 8 at the Transitions Life Care campus. And Saturday, May 20th, 845 to 5 p.m. at Lake Wheeler Park. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you here on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong, and I hope you're having a great Saturday evening. For the second half of the show, we wanted to do something special. Funeral planning is something that affects just about everyone at some point in their life, uh, whether it's them directly or tangentially through a, a loved one. And Cooper and Nicole and myself had a lucky opportunity to sit down with Robin Simonton, who's the executive director of Historic Oakwood Cemetery, and we were able to have a very frank discussion on funeral planning, and we wanted to share that with you tonight. Cooper, we spent so much time on aging matters, talking about caregiving and the importance of openness and planning, and we're going to get into a a very important type of planning that also sort of uh, dovetails into a type of openness. It is a little different type of planning, uh, Jason, and, and the reality of it is we don't like to talk about this stuff, but at some point, everybody is going to die. And there, Am I included in this? Uh, most likely. I mean, okay. you seem really healthy now, but I think it's just a matter of time. I don't know. I, I, I don't feel good, Cooper. But well, well, the One guy told me I plan to live forever. So far, so good. <laughs> okay, but your time's, you know, all of us are mortal. That's yeah. the reality of this. And at some point, we got to talk about funeral planning. Because it does have an impact on caregivers. Mm -hmm. Those people that are caring for you now 
are going to be the ones that will be making your arrangements moving forward. And there's a psychic weight and burden to this. And so we've invited Robin Simonton, who's the executive director for Historic Oakwood Cemetery here in Raleigh, North Carolina, to join us for the show today because she has some very unique perspectives on uh, the the cemetery world and the funeral business. Uh, you, So, Robin, welcome to the show, and thanks for bringing your expertise. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So we didn't want to just bring you on to talk about death, uh, but you said one. You used a term earlier. You said we can talk about these things early when they're still funny, mm-hmm. and I thought that was a great way to approach the topic when there's still an opportunity for some humor involved. You know, definitely. You know, we um, we work with families sometimes just before they're going to need us, um, or maybe years before they're going to need us. But there is nothing like riding on the golf cart at Oakwood Cemetery and pointing out. Jesse Helms or Jimmy V or other local notables or just interesting headstones on your way to planning your own um, your own final arrangements. Um, recently, we interred someone who just uh, he and his wife came out on a nice, pretty afternoon. We had a little tour. We joked around a lot, and then a few months later, it was his time to to join us. And all the family could say to us was, up until the end, he talked about how he. He was looking forward to being part of this community, that he had fun. He remembered the wind through his hair and the and the golf cool. cart ride. And that gave his wife great peace to know that he got to pick out the location. He was involved. And while he wasn't no looking forward to joining us, that he, he understood um, and, and it was just part of the decision. And it was a gift for everyone. And and it was fun, quite honestly. It was it was great fun for all of us. So how do you get started? You know, that's probably the hardest part. I hear this a lot. People come in on maybe on their birthday or come in because they've just buried a friend or a friend's parent. Um, And the hardest thing is calling or coming in. You know, no one, when you open the door to the cemetery office, you do kind of feel a little ill, like it's the beginning of the end, even if you just have a slight cough, right? (laughs) You know, no one really wants to um, admit that they're going to be a permanent resident somewhere someday. And, And coming in, um, and just either asking for a price sheet at any cemetery, um, asking for what the options are, or like I said, just asking to go on a, a ride around the cemetery to see the options, are really the first way. You, know, you have to be able to wrap your arms around this. Um, it always entertains me when someone comes on their birthday. This is how I decide to spend my birthday. <laughs> really? Celebration. <laughs> you know? but, but there's a headstone at Oakwood that says time on it. It's not the person's last name. It is simply a reminder that time goes by very quickly. And it's something, it's something that we should all start planning earlier than later, only because your wishes have to be known. You can't leave your family in a lurch to not know what you would want. It's not fair to them. It's an important gift, actually. To, instead of leaving someone to anguish, what would they have wanted? Mm-hmm. You know, if you know, that's a true gift that you give that person. Oh, it is. And it, you know, I, I think funeral directors will say there's something like. 40 decisions in the first 72 hours or something mm-hmm. like that after death if you haven't talked about it yeah you know and there were, and it's not like it was 70 years ago where you would just be buried in the local cemetery or the church cemetery now you can be cremated yeah. now you can be green buried now you can go in a church columbarium yeah you know a national cemetery the options are endless yeah. and it's a lot to wade through unless unless you're prepared definitely so one of the things i think when i think about the cemetery is that it's been around so long I actually, and I know this is pretty ignorant on my part, I didn't realize you had space 
Yeah, well, if I had um, a nickel for every time someone said that to me, I would be rich. Because most people think Oakwood Cemetery is full. I mean, you drive in, you see the front entry field, which is where the horses used to park when there were funerals, and then you see row after row of headstones. And of course you assume, oh, there's no space left. Um, But really, there's over 200 years of space available to sell at Oakwood Cemetery. We even have an additional 20 acres that we rent out to the city that that are for long-term use that we won't take back, you know, for a while. Um, so the cemetery itself maintains its, well, it's a nonprofit um, cemetery. It maintains itself by selling property. It's still um, its main um, business uh, income. It's actually selling plots. Correct. So you threw some terms around, Robin. Oh, One I? of them was, oh, yeah. You said green burial. Uh, you didn't throw any other colors around, no, just, just, just green. Just green. Just not because of money. <laughs> not, not because. <laughs> so we, ta- and we talked about cremation, and you talked mm-hmm. about using the term columbarium. Mm-hmm. Could you spend a couple moments and kind of uh, explode those terms a little bit for us? So we're going to start with columbarium first. Don't ask me to spell it, and spell check always thinks it's spelled wrong um, in Microsoft <laughs> Word. Um, never right. Um, a columbarium is a place for urns. It's um, an above ground, typically, um, vessel that holds multiple urns. Um, so if you've been cremated, a lot of people think that, oh, I'm going to be cremated. Um, and then they never think about what happens after that. Um, a lot of times urns stay on people's mantles. One in five Americans have an urn in their house. I do. I run a cemetery and I have an urn in my house. Um, it's true. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, people don't know what's next and so an urn can can you know sometimes you can scatter people you can burial at sea turn someone into a diamond um whatever but um but you can also um have your urn interred at a cemetery or at a church um sometimes at a college campus um in a columbarium it's, it's simply a final resting place for um for people who have been cremated green burial on the other hand is um a return to the way we used to bury people Um, If you think about the way Oakwood started with its Confederate cemetery um, in 1867, I would say those folks were green buried. Were they environmentalists? No. But they weren't embalmed. They weren't in a a fancy metal casket or a concrete vault. They were in pine boxes. Everybody was green buried back then. Everybody was green buried back then. And it wasn't until the 1950s that cemeteries began to require outer burial containers or vaults. Um, and it's, it's not a state law that you have to be embalmed. And that's, that's a big misconception that people think, well, I don't want to be embalmed, so I'm not, I'm not going to be full body buried. But it's, it's not a state law to be embalmed. There are some exceptions of when someone needs to be embalmed, um, but, but not a law. Um, and so a green burial se- we have a green burial section at Oakwood. And a green, the green burial section is simply someone who is either in a shroud or a pine box um, or a coffin without metal. That's important. Okay. Um, And then no outer burial container and obviously no embalming. Um, We don't allow metal stands for flowers in that section. Um, And it's simply the person just returns to the earth a little faster um, than you would if you had all those um, outer burial containers. When you're saying outer burial, we're typically thinking a concrete vault. A concrete vault. That's exactly right. And so it's a a section that we started about six months ago. Um, It's amazing how popular it was. I started it at the cemetery because, quite frankly, that's what I wanted, but I wanted to be at Oakwood. (laughs) And so I was a little selfish. And um, so I picked out a nice spot that I thought I would like. And then. Took a little executive privilege. Exactly right. That was good. Um, And we had a green burial open house. And um, and it's amazing how far people will travel for a green burial space. Um, And also, if you have family at Oakwood, but you didn't want to be um, buried in the the traditional sense, the, um, the modern sense, 
then you would be able to um, be in the screen burial section. So how did we get to the point where we began getting embalmed and put inside these concrete vaults and what had it, did it have to do with flooding areas or I mean I'm, it's kind of curious yeah. to me how it's gotten so almost looks like the entire society so sanitary and contained mm-hmm. well death has become very sanitized and very, it's been it's really changed over time if you remember not that any of us are old enough to remember this that we what we used to do is we used to, you'd be buried in your you know you'd have your wake in your house mm-hmm. um, that's where the term par- funeral parlor or funeral home came from and so we really just separated ourselves from it because it's a hard topic to talk about so all of that came that that very separating ourselves from death and the vault and everything came about as we we slowly began to not want to talk and leave it to professionals and not bring it home like we used to. Robin Simonton, executive director of Historic Oakwood Cemetery, is our guest, and we're going to continue our discussion. We're going to get into uh, the big question, how much does this cost? And we'll do that in just a bit. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. Our guest this evening is Robin Simonton. She's the executive director of Historic Oakwood Cemetery. And we're having a discussion, appropriately enough, about funeral planning. And we're going to get into the topic of pre-planning and Cooper I feel like we say this about a lot of things but this is not a conversation that you you typically start off dinner with uh, but this is an important conversation that needs to happen at some point it is uh, Jason it's a, a very important conversation that's very similar to the conversation we encourage about advanced directives which is essentially uh, planning for the inevitable and being sure everybody knows your wishes and uh, during the break Robin and I were talking that uh, when my mother realized that she was not too far away from end of life, uh, she actually, we were coming back from church one Sunday, and she goes, I think I've changed my mind. I don't think I want to be buried. I, I think I really want to be cremated. How do I go about making sure that happens? And my response to her that morning was, well, Mom, you just did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the critical piece was that someone thought about what their wishes were and then took the next step of informing the person who's going to be making those decisions, not informing someone randomly, um, but really making sure that the people who are going to be executing your choices know what they are. Uh, and so, Robin, get us how do we, get us a little further down that path, if you would. You know, do I, I I come to you guys first? Do I go to a funeral home? Is there a wrong door here? Well, there isn't really a wrong door, and and I always tell families when they're pre-planning that they should really. Find somebody, whether it be a cemetery or a funeral home, that they're comfortable with now because they're going to have to be comfortable with them during a really hard time and not to, you know, not to walk into a place cold that they haven't met the people before. Um, so pre-planning benefits the family in many, many ways. But pre-planning also benefits the family in terms of pricing. Um, I can't guarantee where our price point will be in 10 years, 20 years. I have no idea. But I know what our prices are now. And when you pre-plan... You do lock in today's prices. You put at Oakwood, you put twenty percent down and pay with no interest over two years, mm-hmm. um, monthly, quarterly, whatever. Um, and then you can also lock in the cost to prepare the grave for burial. So not just the grave space itself, um, but the the grave preparation. And not because it's 
enough that you you know you either buy a grave space or you buy a house. It's not nearly that expensive. It's expensive as people think it is, um, but it, it takes the, it's the peace of mind to be able to say, "Here's the deed for our property. It's in the safety deposit box. When when the time comes for me, you know my kids know where it's at and know who to call." Um, and then you're also taking advantage of what will obviously be cheaper prices than it would be in 20 years. And so do people also typically involve the funeral home in some of this as well? They do. They do. They definitely do. You know, you see people pre-planning um, at the funeral home the, their casket selection or their urn selection. Um, they can sign the paperwork for their cremation, I believe. Um, and they can, they can talk about what they would like in terms of um, services when they go to the funeral home. So let's talk a little bit more, particularly about your cemetery. Kind of, what should people know about it? What are some of the differentiators, so to speak, compared to some other places in the area? Well, the, the probably the biggest difference is that we're a nonprofit, nonprofit cemetery run by a board of directors. Um, you know, we're 148 years old this month, and so we've been around a long time. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> so, um, but all of our board members are landowners and have families buried there. So they have a vested interest in the success of the cemetery. We're just kind of a mom and pop, an old school mm-hmm. mom and pop. Um, so that's the biggest difference. The other thing is, even though most people think that, you know, you, you think of Jesse Holmes, you think of Jimmy V, you think of Elizabeth Edwards being buried there. There's 25,000 people buried at Oakwood Cemetery, and most are known only to their families. So you don't have to be famous to be at Oakwood. You just are like any other person walking down the street to be buried at Oakwood. There's no difference um, in terms of how you can be buried there. You don't have to be a senator. Um, And the other thing is we are really, um, even our staff, I mean, from most of my grounds crew are Vietnamese Montagnards that fought in the U.S. in in the Vietnam War for the U.S., sided with us. I mean, we are... Um, probably, and this is not an attack on anyone else, but probably the most approachable people you could see are not the typical cemetery salespeople. Um, um, and when you buy property at Oakwood, as much as you may not want to, you become part of our family. Um, and after people bury their loved ones, they come back to visit. It's important to us that we, we build relationships. You know, at a funeral, um, the funeral home serves you and then does a great job of aftercare. But at Oakwood, you're, you're going to come and visit your loved one and you're going to come and visit us and we get to see you and see how your children have grown and see what goes on. And it's, um, we, we're, we really are proud of the relationships we've built with our families over these 150 years. So it sounds a lot like it's not very transactional. It's more relational. That's exactly right. Yeah, it seems like, you know, this is kind of an intimidating subject as I, I kind of hinted at the beginning of the segment. But, you know, just this conversation with you, uh, it, it sounds like, you know, you, you were talking about how people might come on their birthday and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. It seems like there might be some sort of, you might have an intrepidation or, you know, some sort of anxiety of going in there. But it sounds like you guys are really great at sort of disarming that. And I, I think you come away feeling relief afterwards and feeling excited almost. That's what we hope. And that's what we hear from our families that they, you know, they walk even at the time of need and they walk in to sign the paperwork. They dread it. It's a very hard part. You know, mm-hmm. like this is the part where you actually have to physically say goodbye to the body at a cemetery. Right. It's the part driving away that is impossible. Um, but we try to make it as painless as possible. Um, I'm not really a hugger, but I, I will hug at work. <laughs> I will say that. Um, but we try to make it as painless as possible. We try to make sure that families know that we're here for them and that when they walk out, whether it's pre or at need, that we're here for them throughout that process and throughout their lifetime. Um, you know. A family had lost a baby a couple of years ago, and they came in at Christmas with um, with a six-month-old, and they wanted us to see her and hold her because we had seen them through the hardest moments of their life, and they wanted us to see 
them during the happiest moments. Wow. And those are the biggest gifts that we have from families, to be able to watch watch them grow and watch them change over time so we try not to be intimidating we know people are afraid the minute they walk in that door they say are we in the right spot and they kind of are hoping we say no i think you know no go, <laughs> go down the street yeah. <laughs> yeah but but you are in the right spot um and we hope that when families choose oakwood they realize that they choose the relationship um and in a friendship that develops over time robin i think it's interesting that you and nicole uh, both have used the word gift in this process. And, and I think that gift is one of uh, psychic unburdening. If you can, if I can make up the unburdening word, I think that's a real word, but to, <laughs> it is uh, now, it is now yeah. absolutely. Uh, but the idea of giving the gift to your loved ones of not having to make a very difficult decision at an impossibly difficult time in their life. Uh, and if we can approach these decisions from the concept of uh, unyoking our loved ones from hardship in the future, that gift is powerful. And it's powerful in the present as well, even if it's a tinge on the uncomfortable side to have this discussion. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like the way you guys have, have positioned that. Well, I think it's important, and it is a gift. You, know, you hear families say that, oh, when my mom died, I didn't know. How hard it was and I want to make sure my kids don't go through that same thing so people learn and um and want to make sure their kids are at ease later on it'll be hard enough to begin with exactly. the process of losing somebody is emotionally very challenging mm-hmm. even without all of the logistical components of what do we do and where do we go so I, I think having these plans in place makes a lot of sense Robin what is the best way that someone uh, can find out more about this topic and, and reach Historic Oakwood Cemetery? Um, well, our website, um, historicoakwoodcemetery.org, is probably the best place to go to see a little bit more about the cemetery itself and a little bit more about our offerings. Um, and then, of course, to um, to reach me, you can reach me at the cemetery officer via email, um, robin at historicoakwood.com. Robin Simonton, Executive Director of Historic Oakwood Cemetery, our guest this evening. Thank you so much for joining us. I thought this was a very enlightening conversation about funeral planning. So much stuff that uh, I didn't know about. So this was a, a great resource. And if you found it to be a great resource for yourself and would like to go back and listen or share this with a friend, you can do that by going to WPTF.com and heading over to the Aging Matters section. There you can find this episode, uh, which also includes our earlier discussion with Kate Sutton with Transition. Life Care. And you can find every other episode that we've done as well. You can share that with a friend. Um, so many helpful episodes that we've done with covering a, a spectrum of things that anyone would find helpful. Thank you so much for listening. We really encourage you to join us again next week, Saturday night at seven o'clock for Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find everything you want to know about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. Cooper and Nicole and myself will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to News Radio 680 WPTF.